Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. because I'm not going to give one. (laughs) Actually, um, since the events from a couple years ago and the so-called pandemic and all that we have dealt with, one thing has increasingly been on my heart, personally as well as for God's people, and that is the subject of fear. It disturbs me greatly that many of God's people are living life in bondage to fears of various kinds. From, should I get the jab or not get the jab? What if I get COVID? Am I going to die? That's centered around that that one subject. There's lots of others you could you could plug in. I, I made up three C's. Cancer, COVID, and cash, right? Well, we can fear any of those things, those struggles that we have, and and they touch all of us, all of our lives. I happen to have been a part of all three of those now in my life. And, uh, you know, it's easy to get fearful, isn't it? How many of you could say that you live with some type of fear? Be honest. Okay, thanks for your honesty. It's not always easy to be honest about something we know we struggle with, especially publicly. But I want to I want to share this morning some some thoughts about fear and how do we deal with it? What's the solution? And I trust that this will be an encouragement to your heart. Psalm 46, 1 and 2, God is our strength and refuge always ready to help in times of trouble, so we will not fear even if earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Can you make that your testimony today? Think about it. Put it in reality, not just Bible speak. So we walk out the door and we go to get dinner and there's an earthquake and it opens up and starts swallowing cars and people. And the mountains around crumble. In reality, can we say, knowing God, I will not fear? That's a tough one. I venture to say all of us might be, you know, our knees might be smoting one another. John 14, 27, Jesus told the disciples, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, so don't be troubled or be afraid. So the the concept this morning I want us to understand is if we're overcome with fear and we're in bondage to fears, the, the issue that we need to deal with is who is God? We have to go back to the basics. If you want to deal with fear, then consider the attributes of God. Who is God? 
Because when we're, and, and just so you know, fear and worry go kind of hand in hand. They're, they're almost synonymous, okay? And we're told to be anxious for nothing but everything through prayer, supplication, let re- your request be made known unto God, and his peace shall garrison your hearts through Christ. That's the bottom line. So this morning, be it fear or worry, whichever one you'd like to consider, if we put those up against the attributes of God, there should be no fear and worry. So the problem relates then to our belief, faith. Do we believe what God says in the intricacies and the complexities and the struggles of everyday life? That's a question each one of us have to answer. Do I really believe God? Well, the Bible talks a lot about fear. Uh, The only time fear is mentioned in a positive light in Scripture is when it refers to reverence for God. We're told repeatedly, fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, And, and... Many, many passages like that, roughly some 300 times, were admonished to fear God. But the negative side, we're told, don't fear. God told people that repeatedly throughout Scripture. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. I'm going to do this, or this is what's going to happen. From the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament, don't be afraid. Fear not. And I got a lot of references that we could look at to uh, make that point, and I'm going to skip them. Because you know what's going to happen? The, t- the clock's going to go like that, and I'm going to go like this. <laughs> Freedom from fear. Turn to your Bibles to Revelation 2 and verse 8. My purpose this morning is to encourage us if we are fearful believers. I would like my desire is God's word to encourage your heart so that you can go out from from this place today and not live in fear, okay? I don't have all the answers to COVID and all that stuff. It's got nothing to do with it. But God has the answers to the fears of my heart. And I want to encourage you to look to him and allow him to work. Fear cripples and it paralyzes. Fear blocks us from doing what we know to be right. When I was a youngster, I can vividly remember, I think it was third grade. I don't know how old I was. It was a long time ago. But uh, I do remember laying in my bed at night with the greatest fear of letting any portion of my body hang over the edge of the bed. You know why? Because there was a tiger under the bed. And this was a real fear for me. Why? I have no idea. Hadn't even been to the zoo lately. Okay? But that's what I felt at night when I went to bed until I had the courage to sneak over to the wall and hit the light, lay down, look under the bed, and clear my mind that it was there's nothing under there but some cobwebs. Okay? It was clear. But it was a fear that paralyzed me. I dare not let my hand slip over the edge of the bed. Okay? I don't know, it's pretty, 
pretty ridiculous, but pretty real for me in the third grade. I was very aware of that. And I told my mom about it, and sometimes she would come in and we would pray. Okay? She knew where to go with my fears. And we would ask God to remove my fears so I could go to sleep, and the next thing I know, it was morning. God works. So fear blocks us from doing what we know to be right. Sometimes it's the fear of <clears throat> rejection. We're people people, right? That's the way God created us. He created us for having relationships one with another. But one of the biggest fears we can have is, am I going to be accepted by other people? The fear of rejection. And many times we live with rejection. We don't even know it. And it is bondage. It, it cripples us. It paralyzes us. How about financial fear? Anybody ever face that? Am I going to have enough greenbacks to do what needs to be done to just pay the bills? If you're young, maybe you haven't been there yet. If you're young and married, you're experiencing it. And if you were once young and married, you've experienced it, right? When you get married, boy, it's tough. All of a sudden, wham, we got these bills and pay for this and pay for that and the kids and diapers and anyway. Fear, am I going to have enough to meet the needs of my family? What about marriage? Oh, I just don't know who is going to be the lucky gal. It scares me to death. I'd like to ask her, but she might say no, and then I'm rejected. Oh, see how easy we can build it up into, my goodness, I can't even, I want to be a turtle, keep my head in. How about a career? What, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? How about loss? A fear of loss. A loss of loved ones. We've experienced a fair amount of that. A loss of loved ones. Again, we go to financial loss and go to security, job loss, vocational loss, natural disasters. We won't go there. Again, fear of people. I think that's one of the biggest ones. Fear of people, especially for believers. Fear of people. What are they going to think? Fear of pain or maybe perhaps even fear of death. My dad, before he went to glory, said, I'm not afraid of death. I'm just a little worried about getting through it. <laughs> My dad was a, he was a spiritual man. He loved the Lord. And yet the admission of the process, what's it like from here to when I wake up there, okay? It's interesting. Well, in Revelation 2, we have the, the, the letters to the, to the churches, Christ letters to the churches through the apostle uh, John. And in verse eight, we read, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death, I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Smyrna was written, this letter was written uh, over 2,000 years ago, somewhere around perhaps 9,500, the year 95 to 100. And the, the subject matter is as current as the newspaper today, if you kind of could put that together in, in what we read. And Smyrna is in modern day Turkey. And it's a, right now even is a good place to get martyred. Anybody interested in being martyred? Move to Turkey. A good, good place for that to happen. It, it happens. It's a current event for Christians to be slain in Turkey. Okay. A lot of opposition, of course, to Christ. It's a hotbed for um, Islam. Right. So fear is a normal reaction to persecution. And if anyone had a right to be afraid, it would have been the members of this church in Smyrna. But we have to remember that fear of the future or the fear of man or fear in general, listen carefully, is a sin. Why? Because it reveals a lack of faith and trust in God. You with me there? So for me to show a lack of faith and trust in God is something I need to examine my own heart and ask some, re- some questions as to why. Why am I not trusting God? Why am I trusting myself and taking this fear, this worry on myself as if somehow I'm gonna win? It's sin. So like any other sin, what do we need to do with it? We recognize it. We get on our knees before, before God. We confess it as not trusting him. We thank him for the victory and we move on. Okay? Just want to make that clear because a lot of times the pastor can stand up and he can preach on something and we'll never recognize it as sin in our lives. We recognize it as sin but not in my life. We don't want to recognize it. We don't want to deal with it. And if we're fearful this morning and not trusting God, we have a problem, okay? And we need to know how we're going to get through that. Christ is the only cure for fear. Christ is the only cure for fear. You remember these letters, um, letter to Ephesus. What was Ephesus' problem? They had lost their first love, okay? Lost their first love. And we come to Smyrna. They were a church under persecution, and they are the one of two letters that doesn't have anything bad to say about them, okay? So it wasn't a condemnation. It was a letter of encouragement, looking ahead. God could look ahead and know what they're going through. They didn't, but they knew they were going through it already. What was the problem in history? Well, the lovely Roman Empire, 
right? A.D. 70, started in, took over, began to what? Persecute Christians. And these people at Smyrna, the church at Smyrna was feeling it. And so Christ is writing to encourage them. When you're living in fear of what's next, the person who can be the most help to you is someone who has already experienced what you're about to go through. Do you find that to be true? Yeah. Yeah, I, I now can go up to someone who has or has had COVID and I can say, you know what? You're going to get through this. You can trust God. I've been through it. I came out the other side. You may not, but God has got you in his hands. So you can trust him. Now that may, you might say that, well, that's not very encouraging. Well, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be honest because I don't know the outcome. We don't know the outcome. We've had deaths right here in our congregation from COVID. So I can't lie and say, oh, you'll be all right. But I know that you can trust God and in that you will be all right. Okay. So here's one. And this is our first point. I'm sorry I didn't get paper made up for you to take notes. But if you're taking notes, this is a verse eight. Christ's ability to help. Christ's ability to help. <coughs> Christ is our example. We may face seemingly insurmountable problems, but recognize that Jesus has already been there and he has been victorious. The first key to overcoming fear is to focus on the greatness of Jesus Christ. Focus on the attributes of, of Christ. Focus on his ability to help. And the first thing we see there in this verse is, these things says, who's writing this? Christ. These things says the first and the last. He's self-identifying as whom? The Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What does that mean to you? Eternally existent in eternity past, all the way through to eternity future and beyond. That's quite an existence, wouldn't you say? He's not touched by death. Say, well, he died. Yes, he did. Notice the next phrase. And he was dead and came to life. Wow. Christ, who I trust for my salvation, is he worthy of my trust when I, when I look at death or when I might die, my fear of, of death? Can I trust Christ? Well, absolutely. This verse says what? <clears throat> I'm writing these things. I'm the first and the last, Alpha and Omega. I was dead, but I've come back to life. That's our Savior. Without that last phrase, what do we have as believers? What do we have? If, if I'm not come to life, what is there? If Christ isn't come back to life, what do we have? We have nothing. The resurrection. Okay. So Christ's ability to help is based on what he's been through and who he is. And notice that this truth has already been, been emphasized in uh, 118. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. 
and I have the keys of Hades and death. Is Christ able to help stop your fears? Does he have the ability? Well, absolutely. He's God. Why would we look to anyone else? God is the one who sees the big picture in your life and mine. If we look at King David, for example, we could wonder, why did God allow him to suffer so much persecution? Well, without it, we wouldn't have the Psalms and all the comfort that we gain from them because of what David went through. He didn't see that. (coughs) He went through it and started writing. We get to reap the benefit and the blessing from it. Okay? God sees the big picture in your life and mine. Christ is eternal. Secondly, Christ conquered death. He's come to life. We mentioned that, the resurrection. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's this stuff we, we live in, this body, he himself likewise also took part of the same That is, Christ did what? He took on flesh and blood. For what purpose? So that he could come to the cross and die and his blood be shed. The verse goes on and says that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. Who's that? Satan. Okay, he can render him powerless. That is the devil. And he might free those who through fear of death were subject to bondage all their life. What does a fear of death do? What does a fear of rejection do? What does a fear of anything do? It puts us in bondage. We're like this with that fear. We can't function in some area of life because we're afraid. Be it the tiger under the bed or fear of people around us. For those believers who live in fear, take heart. Christ is the victor and he is able. Secondly, we see that Christ's perfect knowledge. So we have Christ's ability to help. That ought to encourage us. The fact that Christ has perfect knowledge, that ought to encourage us in relation to our fears. What does it say in verse 9? I know your works. Okay, what's he talking about? I believe he's talking about the works. He's talking about the things that the believers at Smyrna did for Christ. I know your works. I know what you're doing to honor me. He's aware of that. God is aware of that in our lives as well. He's well aware. He sees us. He strengthens us. He gives us the power to carry out those works. He knows our problems, your tribulation. This is a very strong word. It speaks of crushing pressure. (coughs) It's used to describe the experiences of these Christians here in Smyrna. And that word, Smyrna, comes from the word myrrh, right? Frankincense and myrrh. You know, myrrh came from a, a tree, but that tree had to be burned and crushed to release that fragrance, okay? You suppose we might need some crushing so that the fragrance of Christ 
can flow out from us? I want to tell you, yes, we do. Whether you believe it or not, we need it. We need ground out and crushed. What does God use to do that? Any number of things in our life, hardship, trial, persecution, the things we're afraid of, God desires that we embrace. Why? So that the fragrance of Christ can flow out from us. Unfortunately, many times I don't respond that way. I, something happens and I want to get out from under it. And I start trying to manipulate the circumstances and, and do whatever there is to, to get out from under that, that, that struggle, that trial, that fear. And what I found is when God touches your body, there are many, many ways he does that, but, but a lot of them, you don't have a choice. You, you don't have a choice. You can't do anything to make it better. I remember laying in bed not too long ago without any mental desire to get out of bed and without the physical strength to make it happen. Okay? And that, that's where you are. Well, what are you going to do for yourself in that situation? Fortunately, I have a lovely wife who was able to nurse me and uh, help me get out of bed. <laughs> but but I, I share that because times can come when you and I are so devastated by our circumstances, we can't do anything to help ourselves. Well, that's a perfect time for us to trust God, isn't it? When you and I can't do anything to fix it, where are you going to go? God, I trust you. I can't help myself. I can't fix this. I can't change this. I can't reach into the lives of my children and fix their hearts. I can't do it. I can't do that with anybody's heart. Only God can. So what, what happens when God does this in tribulation is he's pressuring us, he's squeezing us, and he's doing so that we can take on the very likeness of Christ, the aroma of God's grace. Uh, amazing again, the worship team this morning, how God led a couple verses that you shared or verses that I'm, I'm sharing here in my message, and God does that. It's pretty cool. James my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that what? The testing of your faith produces patience or growth. So let patience have its perfect work. What's God's goal for your life and mine? Romans 8.28. What is it? Be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. How's that going to happen? The very things that I fear, God wants to use to mold me and shape me and crush me. And I need crushed. Is it pleasant? Nope. But afterwards, it yields the perfect fruit of righteousness. It forms Christ in us when we trust Him. Well, He knows our problems, our tribulations. What next? Oh, I know your poverty. What? God knows about my finances? Oh, these people were poor. Wealthy city, poor Christians. 
That's persecution in a nutshell, right? It's all part of it. But he says, I know your poverty. The word poverty refers to a beggar. Those same words were used of Christ, poverty and rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, which you read this morning. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus became poor for us that we might become rich. How did we become rich? Rich in grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rich in having our sins forgiven. Rich in looking forward to eternity with Christ in glory. James 2.5 says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? If you only have material wealth, you're bankrupt. If we only have material wealth in this life, we're bankrupt. We've missed it and we're poor. Christ makes us rich. So Christ knows our works. Christ knows our problems, our tribulation. He knows our finances and poverty. Number four, Christ knows when we are slandered. Notice in the passage, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. In other words, God knows, Christ knows when people are lying about you. Making stuff up. Does it happen? Yep. Accused of wrong when we're not wrong? Yep. But real tribulation is when we're purposely lied about and inconvenienced because of something we're doing for Christ. That's real persecution. These people were enduring that. Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It should come as no surprise that some of our greatest opposition is going to come, unfortunately, from Christians. Yeah. How do we deal with that? The world doesn't really care. But we, we care. And we accuse and we shoot people in the foot when they're down. Other believers. It was true for Jesus who crucified him, religious leaders. It was true for Paul who was after him, always the religious Jews. (coughs) Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 19. 1 Peter 2, 19. used to use an electronic Bible, then when I have to turn pages, it's, it's a little tough. Can't even find it. First Peter 2. Man, fingers are in bad shape. 
Yeah, I'll get there. First Peter two nineteen. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently. This is commendable before God. Notice verse 21. For to this you were called. Uh-oh. What's that mean? That means it's God purposes that we suffer. Now, don't get me wrong. He doesn't do that as a, a mean old God up there. But he's telling us it's going to happen. Why? Because we're his people. Christ suffered. Aren't we going to suffer? Yeah, we should expect it, right? Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. So I got a question for you. How can you and I respond when we're put in a place because of our fear, we fear something, or persecution and we're in suffering? How should we respond? How did Christ respond? The verse says he committed himself to him who judges righteously. The next time you're in that position, I challenge you before God, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. I trust you and I commit myself to following you through whatever this is that you have for me. COVID, cancer, cash, yeah, whatever. I challenge you, follow Christ. Example. We're called to suffering. Don't be uh, surprised when it comes. Thirdly, verse 10, Christ's encouragement. Christ's encouragement back in Revelation 2. Do not fear any of these things which you're about to suffer. There it is. Do not fear. The problem in this verse, Satan. The devil's about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Okay? The problem is Satan. Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, people. No, what do we wrestle against? Principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. I believe that you and I forget that Satan is the enemy. And we go through a hard time. We know God allows it, but it can be a direct temptation from Satan. How many of you have ever thought, I might be the next Job? I don't, I don't mean that because everything bad happened, but I mean the reality of... If God were writing scripture today and these things were happening to us, how would I respond? Am I the next Job? I want the record to be that I trusted God, that I didn't deny God, that my fears didn't take me down a road I don't really want to go. We've been drawn into this battle between God and Satan and battles are hard and many times bloody. What's the purpose? 
It says you're about to be tested, okay? That you may be tested. The idea here is that of a refining fire. The refining fire be tested. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Okay? Don't shy from the refining fires of, that God brings. Okay? Let God have his work in your life. Since trials make us more like Christ, should we not then welcome anything that would make that happen? That's a tough one. We don't want the conflict and the pain and the trial. But if it's to yield the perfect fruit of righteousness, God, then work away in my life. Work away. The pain is temporary. I don't know what this 10 days mean means. Um, I'm not sure why it's used there, but the point is it's not eternal. It's contrasted with giving to you the crown of life. So it, it's, we're talking about something that's short-lived, that's temporary, as opposed to the crown of life. And Paul made that point in Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the here and now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You get that? Temporary, temporal versus eternal. We think we're living here forever. No, we're not. It's just a blip on the radar, this old life. It's nothing. Our citizenship's in heaven. That's what's eternal. Don't get too out of joint over what's happening now. Then lastly, verse 11 Christ's exhortation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, listen carefully. Are you a listener? Listen carefully to the Word of God. Listen carefully to the words of Christ. Why? Because they have meaning and they have life and they are the answer. You got fears? Christ is the only answer. His ability, his knowledge, his encouragement, and his exhortation. Look at the eternal, the last part of verse 11. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Oh, it can take this one. It can take it, this life, this body. It's going to die anyway at some point. But you know what? My future Eternal life is secure because of Christ. I will not taste, and you will not taste if you trust Christ as Savior, the second death, which is eternal separation from God forever. Ah, we don't have to fear that. We can rejoice in that we have life, the very life of Christ. John clearly defines who these overcomers are. They are all who believe that Jesus is God's son and all that that means. The overcomers are all believers. And that word overcomer comes from the idea of those who would have victory, superiority, or conquering power. The word reflects a genuine superiority 
that leads to overwhelming success only through Christ. A conqueror, an overcomer. That's who we are. You and I will not be overcomers in, in a temporal sense if we are living and yielding to the fears that we carry up here. Because we're not trusting. We're not trusting Christ. We're not living in his victory. We're not allowing ourselves to trust him. Paul said in Romans 8.37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. In other words, if you're born again today, if you're trusting in Christ as your savior for forgiveness of sins, for eternity with him, you and I are overcomers because Christ is an overcomer. What are you going to do with your fears today? What are you going to do with them? You going to just keep on worrying? You going to be in bondage? Oh, a car might hit me. It might. Yeah. We might have a tornado and ruin everything. Yep, it might. Who is God? God is omnipotent. What does that mean? He's potent. That's our terminology, right? He's strong. And he's strong on our behalf. Right? And whatever he allows, he is controlling. So why would I fear what's next when I step out there? Why would I fear? I can trust him. I have learned through my life and some of the things I've been through that I must believe that God is God. Do you get that? That God is God. If I don't believe that, I'm doomed. I will never have victory. I will never be a testimony. God is God. Get that in here and get it in here. And when things come before you and your fears come and persecution comes, remember that God is God. God, you're in control. God, you're more powerful than I am and that all these other things are. God, I can trust you. God, you love me. God, you went to great lengths to save me. You're not going to give up on me now. That makes sense? Get, the, get that concept so founded in here that when things come along, we're able to say, God, I want to scream. I don't know what to do. But I can trust you. You are my God. Why live in fear? Why live in bondage to what might happen? Charles Spurgeon said, if we cannot believe God when circumstances seem to be against us, we do not believe him at all. If we believe God for our salvation, then I suggest we can believe God for every fear and coincidence and purpose and 
normality of life.